0: welcome to the step over podcast ottawa's grassroots soccer podcast thanks for joining i hope you're doing well as i'm recording this it's just before a big snowstorm that's about to hit but by the time you're listening it'll already be there which is pretty much perfect for me because it's like because what else are you going to do besides listen to podcasts of course i guess as you're listening to this it could be july or something in which case i hope your summer's going well But if it is winter, and it is January uh, 17th, I hope you're safe, I hope you're warm, I hope you're still in your jammies. I know I am slash will be, but uh, I'm pretty jazzed about my guest for this episode. It's kind of a learning experience for me. Um, Like, I'm someone who likes to know how things work. Like, there's lots that I don't know. Like, a lot. But I know that, and I like to explore. I like to learn. Now, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you are going to be aware of... Of Canada soccer that's the governing body for soccer across Canada you know about them you'll probably also be aware of Ontario soccer that's like one level below Canada soccer and essentially administers soccer across Ontario across the province and under Ontario soccer is all these district associations so the one that Ottawa falls into is the Eastern Ontario District Soccer Association now I've been aware of the EODSA But if you had come up to me and said, hey, Josh, what does the EODSA do? I would have stared at you for a long time, said nothing, and we'd both feel pretty uncomfortable. Now, I don't like making people feel uncomfortable, so I wanted to find out what the EODSA does. Now, to find out who would be a better person to talk to than the executive director of the EODSA, Vicky Lowe. No one. That was a rhetorical question. I had a really great chat with her a while back. Um, got to know the ins and outs of what exactly the EODSA is, and she's got some really interesting takes on what's been the biggest development in soccer in Ottawa over the last number of years, and what she'd like to see at the professional level uh, across the country. So this is a chat you don't want to miss. Here's my conversation with EODSA Executive Director Vicky Lowe. Enjoy. Uh, so we're here with Vicky Lowe. Uh, thank you so much for joining, Vicky. Um, I wanted to ask first, um, you know, like, what's your background with soccer? Like, when did you first get into the sport?
1: Well, I started, at, um, like most people who end up in the administration or, you know, working with clubs as volunteers, I started as a player. So I played, um, back in the day, there were no girls teams, so I played on the boys teams. Um, gave it up after high school, which is typical and something that we need to work on, and um, Picked it up again after I had my kids because I wanted them to see their mom playing a sport. Um, then went on to coach all of my kids um, through the years. There was a day where I was looking up a a schedule at Canada Soccer, and I thought I, I saw the um, advertisement for in operations at Canada Soccer, and I thought, well, I mean, that would be an amazing fit. Um, it sort of combined my professional experience with my passion for soccer, so um, that's where my um, professional career and soccer operations started. I was with Canada for several years through their merger with Goulburn Soccer into um, West Ottawa Soccer Club and then 2014 for some reason I decided I needed a, a, a challenge and so I moved to the Newmarket area to work for a club there and it was a club that was deep in crisis and um, you know my eyes just lit up. I, lo- I love a challenge so I, I'm, we moved the family there, um, and we had some success at that club, and then I moved on to take on the executive director role at the York Region Soccer Association, so the, the governing body for the club that I was at. Um, did that for a little bit, and then decided it was time to come home after about five years. Um, you know, our parents were getting older, and it was there, we knew they were going to be needing us more, and at the same time, a job opening came up with EODSA, so we made the transition back and I've been, it's almost been three years now that I've been back um, at the EODSA. And it's, it's been, um, as you can imagine with COVID, it's, it's been quite a ride at the EODSA
0: so far. I mean, you said you wanted a challenge, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love a challenge. I do. And so that was, it was maybe a little more than I was asking for, but yeah, you know, with every, with every, even with COVID, with every, um, disaster challenge there there comes opportunities and um sometimes it brings those opportunities into light a little bit more get some clarity on okay this is you know this is something we really need to fix and so it's been good that way it's given me a really um good idea of the things that I want to work on
0: yeah so you said that you started as a player like like many people in your position um uh yep. do um like were you a striker were you defense goalie like, like what was your specialty?
1: Um, I was I was typically center mid. I, I wouldn't say I loved it, but that's where the coaches usually put me. I would probably gravitate more to like a center back if, if I could have, but I didn't have the hype. So, um, yeah, I played center mid for the most part. Okay.
0: And did you have like a favorite team or a favorite player growing up?
1: No. I mean, um, the international soccer game wasn't part of my life or culture or nobody talked about it at school I mean it, it was a typical um, typical hockey <laughs> <a> typical <laughs> hockey family and culture in my town um, so no I didn't I do now I mean I, I I'm you know a huge huge fan of the Canadian women's national team and and the men um, but more so the women um, you know Christine Sinclair is my idol even though I out uh, age her by many, many years.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, so you're the executive director of the Eastern Ontario District Soccer Association, or EODSA. Um, so for those who don't know, um, like myself, um, like what exactly is the EODSA?
1: Okay, so there's a, a structure of soccer in Canada, and and even all the way up to FIFA. So if we think um, starting at the player, so we've got the player who belongs to a team which belongs to a club. That club's governing body is a district typically. So that's where we are. The EODSA is the governing body for the clubs in our catchment area and then we in turn report to the provincial association who reports to the national association into CONCACAF and FIFA.
0: Yeah, so like CONCACAF reports to FIFA, Canada Soccer reports to CONCACAF. So so you report to Interior Soccer and I guess to Canada Soccer as well. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so what is that relationship like working with them? Like, what do you have to make sure, you know, gets done on your end?
1: So our, our biggest role is is administrative and that's in making sure that all the players with our clubs are, are safely registered in the provincial database. Um, and, and that's mostly for insurance purposes that we make sure that they're all registered. We also, um, provide the, the rules for play. So, you know, we're the, unfortunately it's one of our, our jobs is the discipline portion of it. So it's interesting with governing bodies. There's, there's, uh, we have two jobs and they're very often conflicting. So we need to be the supporters and the enablers of the clubs. And I feel like our most important job is to let them do what they need to do to get the players um, developed. But then on the other hand, we also have to hold them to account. So um, we have those two jobs and through that Ontario soccer, makes sure that we are doing our job properly.
0: Okay. Yes. You said that, that like, sometimes those come into conflict, like um, Mm -hmm. would you be able to give us like an example of how, like how those things might conflict?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, COVID returning from COVID is a, is a really good example. So as you can imagine, we had three weeks to get 20,000 kids onto the field and it was, uh, I mean, there were so many people in the operations of clubs that were working, just countless hours. You know, I'd be up at midnight emailing people and I'd get a reply from most of them. So it 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 was insane. And and there were times where um mistakes were made on game sheets or kids were added who weren't quite registered yet. Um, and so my governing arm, you know, that would typically be a discipline, a fine or something like that. But then on my other on the other hand, really, I know how hard people are working to get these kids out there. And I know that nobody's going to be perfect. And so, you know, it's a conversation to say, hey, what happened here? And if it's just an administrative error, then then we sort of, you know, you give a warning, you talk about it, and, and, and we move on. Um, so that's a really good example of just kind of trying to balance the two.
0: So you mentioned that you were working hard to get 20,000 kids back on the field. Um, mm-hmm. Like, is that how many players are generally registered in Eastern Ontario?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our our last good season that we've got, that we had a a full registration, we had about 34,000 outdoor registrations. That's youth and adult. Um, And so this year we're at um, 23,000 already. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's nowhere what our 2019 regular numbers were, but it's certainly more than any of us ever expected we'd have in in this outdoor season. In the indoor season, we also have about um, almost 9,000 indoor registrations as well.
0: And what's the, the growth in the like, registration numbers been like, uh, you know, maybe during your time as the head of the organization and, uh, uh, and maybe a bit prior to that? Yeah,
1: so we keep track of our numbers back to 1992, and we saw growth all the way up to 2008-2009. And then things started to taper off a little bit. So from a high in 2009 of about 50,000 players in the outdoor season, uh, we have slowly gone down to about 34,000.
0: That's interesting. Do You know, yeah. like you have an idea like why, why that might be?
1: Um, it's, it's a trend with youth. There are a lot of different opinions. There are a lot of different viewpoints on why it is. Uh, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. People like to say that kids aren't just, just aren't playing sport anymore, but I think it's that, and I think it's families are really busy. Um, I think the cost, you know, even though soccer is probably the least expensive sport to play, uh, at a recreational level, um, there are still some families that that can't afford it there are a whole host of reasons there are new sports out there that are exciting and kids want to try also kids are doing a bigger variety of sports than they used to so they might try soccer for a year and then they might try something else and I think parents are trying to give them a more all-around experience and then settle on what they like the best so I think that's what we're finding as well
0: Okay. So that brings up a good, like a point that I wanted to bring up, um, is that one thing that's, that certainly changed over time is, is the cost to play. You know, like when I was mm-hmm. starting out, um, my parents put me in soccer cause that was, cause it was dirt cheap to play. Um, and that's, and and I think that was the the main reason they put me in it. And, you know, certainly the, the quality of the playing environment has improved, but like cost is, is now a barrier for some people to put their kids into soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that anything that the EODSA has like, you know, any power over or are there any initiatives the association has taken on to kind of help combat those rising costs?
1: Yeah, we don't we don't necessarily have any power over what the clubs are charging uh, okay. uh, for sure. That's, you know, that's their choice. They're, they're all their own entities. They're all non, non-profits okay. and um, they, they charge what they need to in order to, you know, at least break even at the end of the year. The sport is professionalized. Definitely. I know when I started, um, they were all volunteer coaches. Um, and it was, you know, just people who had some experience and wanted to give back and that's what they were doing. Um, over the last 10 years, we've seen a professionalization of the sport. So at the competitive level, um, quite a few of the youth coaches are paid coaches and, you know, that's gone hand in hand, like you said, with, with the, um, value that the, that the kids are getting out of it. So in order to be a paid coach, you have to have a certain level of um, experience along with certifications. Um, you know, so a, a coach who has a national B or a national A license, it's only fair that they're they're um, compensated for the time that they're putting into developing these kids. Um, and across the district, you'll find a, a quite a variety of different fees. Obviously, You know, at our highest youth level, we have three clubs that play in the OPDL, which is the highest level youth play you can have. Those coaches are paid. Those clubs, while they're nonprofits, they're professionally run. You have to treat them like a business because you have assets, you have staff, and you have to be responsible about the way you run it. It does bring higher costs. However, the clubs have, all of those three clubs definitely have subsidy and bursary accounts and um, player assistance accounts and I think they do their best to try and make sure that the kids who need to be seen and need to be in that OPDL program to have a future in soccer um, get there one way or another. We also have a lot of clubs not at the OPDL level Um, and there, there are a variety so definitely we have some youth clubs that are still run by volunteers and um, they put competitive teams in, and, and the cost is less because they don't have the overhead that the larger clubs do.
0: Okay, like the more professional environment, I guess that a club provides. Generally speaking, that's that's just going to raise costs at at all levels for that, like for that club.
1: Uh, not necessarily at all levels. They should still be able. To... Every club has their own costing formula, and typically clubs don't like to, um, you know, run one run one program to subsidize another. Um, so that OPDL program is expensive because it carries the full load of the cost of that program.
0: So we talked about the number of other players registered. Do you track players who are, um, you know, playing outside the jurisdiction, like, uh, you know, when they're a bit older and playing away from their clubs, uh, like playing at like universities in the States or like abroad, do you track any of that?
1: Well, again, the, the province does that. And okay. so they know exactly where all of the players have gone province wide and, you know, who's p- playing professionally who has you know is playing in um, maybe they've gotten a scholarship to the states, um, but definitely professionally, um, okay. those are tracked. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so you, know, you said that, that the EODSA is uh, you know it's primarily like a administrative body, but I have seen some some events that are co hosted by it. Uh, so I was just wondering what you know what kind of uh, events or like talk does the EODSA tend to host?
1: Um, we would mostly do things that would help with the development of our clubs. A couple of years ago, pre-COVID, we had um, a, a girls' girls soccer day. So we had some speakers come in, some former national team members, and former referee, former and current referees, and it was a female mentorship day—a day for them to come and hear um, from some of their idols, and really just with the goal of, of you know, you have to see it to be it. So these are women you can aspire to sort of emulate in your life. The other thing we do is a lot of um, of club workshops so whether it be a governance a discipline workshop just a whole host of things how to how to host an AGM um, what your governance documents should look like that sort of thing so it's about um, making sure that the clubs know all of the options out there in terms of governance Um, our latest one was a code of conduct workshop so you know if how to deal with complaints that come through and how to make sure that they're treated properly so that the outcome, uh, stands. Okay.
0: Um, so being at the head of, of an association that, you know, covers such a large area, uh, you know, I was, and, uh, like with a ton of clubs under your umbrella, like my, my assumption is, is that you might get a, like a, you might be in a good position to get a sense of like the state of the sport in the area, like in, more, in a more big picture kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like one thing I'm wondering is if, um, is like, have there been any significant changes to the sport in Eastern Ontario that like you've seen?
1: For me, at Athletico Ottawa coming here is the most important thing that's happened. Everyone might not see it now. But my my dream is to have soccer across the country revolve around the CPL. And so each district, a district like ours, for example, um, would have a direct affiliation with the CPL team above them. So if, if you would, you would see the CPL team um, form the region geographically. And from there, the players would just funnel up and the CPL team would have, you know, an eye on everything that's going on at the club level. And the players would go through academies and uh, academies might not be the right word, training programs at the CPL team and have the opportunities then to play in the professional league for their home team that's what, that's my dream of what soccer would look like across the country. There's a long way to go, but I think in Alma, we're really lucky to have Atletico here. And I've already, you know, it, we, we've we seen it this year. We've seen um, players from our, from our youth teams getting the opportunity to play with Atletico. And uh, I mean, that's the dream for us, right. Is to see our own players play professionally and who knows where it takes them after CPL. CPL is a, you know, it's a, it's a development league. So you know, where do these players go from there? So that's what I find really exciting.
0: Okay. Um, does that Atletico, you know, has there been any dialogue, um, you know, at like any level between them and the EODSA um, or do they primarily just kind of like uh, go direct from club to club?
1: It's a bit of both. Um, when, the, when they started the club, um, they definitely reached out to us right away. And we started talking about, you know, how can, what do we need from each other? How can we help each other? Um, so we've had a, a, lots of talks um, and a lot of it has been us sort of facilitating what is the best way to reach out to our clubs, um, you know, in terms of, of filling seats, because obviously they need to do that, their business, but also in terms of developing players um, and, and getting an eye on the players that are in the district. So we're more of, a, again, just a facilitator. And sort of, um, you know, giving them the the lay of the land, if you will. So, what does soccer look like in the region, and how is it um, how is it going to be best for them to work with the clubs? They have reached out, and they have some good relationships with uh, quite a few of our youth clubs.
0: Yeah, they started that Power by Atletico program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which which my understanding is that it's a like it's a fairly fluid program, and like like what they do with each club dip, um, is uh, different from club to club. If you could give any Like recommendations to Atletico or the clubs in terms of like like what would be really great to to have come out of those relationships like like what kind of like what kinds of things would you recommend?
1: Well, definitely, I'd have the Atletico Ottawa coaching staff be aware of the top level programs in our district and where those kids are and and track them and even you know come out and coach a session so the kids can become accustomed to seeing the Atletico Ottawa staff around and it's just sort of a natural progression for them so you're building fans but you're also you know building future players so that's definitely uh, what I would say is build that connection so that there's just an easy back and forth and you see the coaches and the coaches know if there's a player out there that they need to keep an eye on they know where he is he or she is for now there will be a women's national league eventually but yeah one day one day
0: yeah um like in your position do you get a sense of of any kind of movement on that you know a women's league is is certainly something that that fans are crying out for um yeah. and out west there's been there's been rumblings of, of sort of like a like a western region you know women's league has there like can you say if there's been any like rumblings for anything for like, eastern canada
1: official rumblings i don't know but i do know that um the women's national team players who have just come back and some that have retired are making it their goal to bring a women's national league here. um, And they're the ones that are going to be able to do it. They need investors. That's the the biggest thing they need investors with the long-term vision. Because as much as the CPL has been requiring investors to get it, get it through the first five years, the, the Women's National Program or League would need the same thing. So yeah, there, now is the time, I think, with the Olympics behind us. Um, now is the time. And, and I think everybody is sort of aware of that. And um, Toronto may be the first. There's a lot of rumblings that Toronto would be the first team to at least have a team in the American League. And, and you know, that's the start.
0: In your dream scenario, would you mm-hmm. would you want to have like, you know, a few Canadian teams in the NWSL or would you prefer to go all in on on having, you know, a uh, like a women's CPL?
1: Oh, women's CPL for sure would be the dream. Yeah. I mean, Canada has this geographical issue that we have to deal with, which, which makes it you know that much more expensive to to run a team in the league, but I think we have the players to make it work. Um, I think we have the fans to make it work again. I think it's just um, investment to get us over the first five, 10 years that we need. That's the yeah. dream. We'll, we'll be okay with the start in the American league, <laughs> but eventually we want our own.
0: Okay. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you. Uh, is there anything that's coming up uh, in any workshops or anything that uh, you want coaches to be aware of anything like that, that uh, that you want to put out there?
1: Um, Right now we're working on the youth leagues. So the EODSA will be running the youth leagues next year, which is, you know, we haven't run them in the past five years. They've been um, run by another organization. So our focus right now is on getting our youth leagues up and running for next year. So really not a whole lot in the way of workshops, just, you know, our noses are to the grindstone right now. There's something I should mention or that we should talk about, and that's the number of adult clubs that we have in the district. And I think people aren't aware of the size of the adult program here in Ottawa. We've, we've got one of the biggest in the, in the province and probably in Canada. Um, in, in the OCSL, the Ottawa Carlton Soccer League, we have 28 adult clubs in uh, in the district and a total of 64 clubs altogether and so any adults out there who are looking to play you can find yourself in a club we have all kinds of different adult clubs and um, they've got a lot of history to them a lot of good competition and you know all the way down to recs and rec soccer and over 50 master's programs so soccer is a lifelong sport and our adult clubs do a really good job of of keeping the game going.
0: So people don't have to stop playing like when they turn eighteen yeah. and, they've, and they and they kind of age out of the rec leagues.
1: Yeah, that's something that we across the province we really need to do a better job of is figuring out what to do with the kids when they leave youth soccer. So where the sport's been organized for them, they register and somebody puts them on a team, and away they go to an adult where you have to go and find yourself a team. So we need to do a better job of of transitioning our. Um, are aging out youth, and we know that being away at university and college has is a hiccup in that process. But um, do a better job of that transition for sure.
0: So in the meantime, um, is there like a central place where people could kind of see, okay, like where is there, you know, a club near me that that you know offers spots for adults?
1: Yeah, our website has a list of all of the clubs, and for the youth clubs, we have them listed geographically. The adult clubs aren't really broken up geographically, so. It's a little more difficult, but definitely um, people can always reach out to us and, and they do quite often looking to join a team and this is what I'm interested in. And either we can, or the OCSL, the lead, the adult lead can match them up with a team.
0: Once again, that was my chat with EODSA Executive Director Vicky Lowe. I want to thank her profusely for joining. And that last bit at the very end, you know, if you're an adult looking for a place to play, like it's hard to get back into playing organized soccer. So please, if that sounds like you, reach out to the EODSA or the OCSL. I will definitely be sharing those links on social media. You know, once we get back to to playing normally, you should be involved too. Anyone who wants to be playing should be. Now before I go, um, the big news for this past week was the CPL finally announcing a date for their CPL U-Sports draft. It's going to be taking place on Thursday, January 20th. They released a list of of 162 players who have declared for the draft. It's by far the most that have ever been available for the draft, and you should absolutely keep an eye on our good friends at Capital City Supporters Group and their social media channels. They'll be doing a draft special ahead of the draft, and I don't know, there might be a special guest... I don't know why I would bring that up. I'm just letting you know. For this episode, though, that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. If you have time and are so inclined, please like and subscribe to the social media accounts for this podcast. Give the pod a good rating if you're listening to this on something where you can do that. If anything, it would make me smile. Until next time, stay safe, stay warm. We'll see you.